Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, this is George Stevens Jr. You're listening to TV Confidential with Ed Robertson, who's a, such a great interviewer. <laughs> well, I, I thank you very much. <laughs> Ed Robertson, welcoming you to this week's edition of TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television. Then we'll welcome back our friend Jay Moriarty in our second hour. Jay Moriarty, longtime staff writer, producer, and later showrunner of The Jeffersons and the author of Honky in the House, a memoir of Jay's seven years writing and producing The Jeffersons, as well as other shows for the great Norman Lear, including the famous Draft Dodger episode of All in the Family. Jay Moriarty will join us in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. Our first hour will include a conversation with actor Christian Gnier. Christian recently experienced what every young actor dreams of when his IMDb ranking skyrocketed practically overnight after he made his first appearance as 10 on the popular Netflix series, Stranger Things. We'll ask Christian how he came to join the cast of Stranger Things when he joins us later on in this hour. We hope you stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, the 2021-2022 television season marked the 60th anniversary of the premiere of The Defenders. The Defenders, the Emmy Award-winning, highly influential, and sometimes controversial legal drama, Starring E.G. Marshall and Robert Reed and created by created and produced by Reginald Rose that not only presented topical issues every week to a wide and vast television audience, but made those issues accessible and easy to understand as well. The Defenders is also the second best known work of Reginald Rose. The best known work, of course, being 12 Angry Men, the 1957 film classic starring Henry Fonda that was also one of the first major motion pictures adapted from a work of television. Back with us via Zoom is our friend Phil Rosenzweig, professor of organizational behavior at IMD Business School. Phil devotes several chapters to the Defenders in his excellent book, Reginald Rose and the Journey of Twelve Angry Men. Phil, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Ed. Now, what's interesting, and it, again, it's not very surprising because when we when we talked last time, we, we, we talked a lot about how Twelve Angry Men was one of many plays for television that Rose wrote for Studio One. So was the Defenders. That, that, that originally began as a one-shot episode of Studio One. Right. So Rose's first works, uh, the ones that really established him as a writer from 1953 to 1957, were for Westinghouse Studio One, a live anthology. And you would write uh, what was essentially a one-hour drama. Uh, and there were many of these anthologies in the early 50s, but by the mid-50s, there were fewer and fewer. And the final new uh, original drama he wrote for Studio One was a two-part called The Defender. It had Ralph Bellamy, 
it had William Shatner uh, as the, the younger attorney, and Steve McQueen had a role. Uh, and then Studio One met its end. And if you were a writer like Reginald Rose, well, you did a few movies, but your heart really wasn't in making movies. You wanted to stay in television. And after a couple of years with the demise of anthology television, he and Herb Brodkin uh, collaborated on what was then the, a series that CBS approved for the early 60s called The Defenders. And as I understand how The Defenders got on the air from the original uh, two-parter on Studio One to giving it the green light to four or five years later, that is one of those happy accidents that happen sometimes in television. It was very much an accident. Uh, Rose did not want to do what many writers were doing, which was move from New York to Los Angeles. He wanted to stay in New York, and Herb Brodkin, who he had produced with a number of times also, they were New Yorkers, and they wanted to develop material that would be produced in New York. And they came up with a few ideas that they floated to CBS, they got a green light by Michael Dan, who was a CBS executive in New York, to do a pilot for the Defenders, which they did in early 1960. And then it just kind of went nowhere because the guy who was in charge of CBS, James Aubrey, was not very interested in it. The Smiling Cobra. The, the Smiling Cobra, <laughs> uh, known for probably not doing the most intellectually challenging shows, yeah. but that's a different story. Yeah. Uh but they did the pilot for this, and it went nowhere, so much so uh, that within a few months, the options had expired. So E.G. Marshall was told, well, you know, we're not going to do this. You can go on your own way. But the happy accident that you're talking about happened that autumn, autumn of 1960. Uh, William S. Paley, Aubrey, the other execs of CBS are trying to figure out the lineup for the 1961 primetime uh, slots. And Aubrey wanted something called Mr. Broadway. Paley said, no, we don't want that. You know, what else is there? And Michael Dan said, well, we've got this thing called the Defenders hanging around. Let's take a look at this. And Paley said, let's do it. Partly because it was a serious show that was, it had a little bit of intellectual rigor to it. And Paley and others were very sensitive to the perception that television was dumbing down. So, out of nowhere, seemingly, they said, let's go with it. And within a couple months, the contracts were in place. They got Marshall back on board. They cast Robert Reed. Uh, and it was then in a primetime slot from 1961, and it ran for the next four years. The Defenders, the uh, second best known work of television by Reginald Rose. Phil Rosenzweig devotes several chapters of his biography of Reginald Rose, Reginald Rose and the Journey of Twelve Angry Men to the origins of the Defenders, um, the various social issues that Rose explored every week on the Defenders and the personal price that uh, the success of the Defenders took on Rose's personal life at the time. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. The uh, Reginald Rose and the Journey of Twelve Angry Men, available wherever books are sold through Fordham University Press as well as Amazon.com. Now, one of the things that made, it, it, a couple of things. You talked about how Paley was sensitive to the fact of, of, the, of the perception of television at the time. What's interesting is 
and this is this is more fluke coincidental fluke than anything else. But what's interesting is that the Defenders premiered about six months before uh, Newton Minow, the FCC chairman at the time, his 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 very famous vast wasteland speech. Uh, speech. He was certainly not talking about the Defenders when he when he called television a vast wasteland. No, the the timing is interesting. They had already green lighted the pilot, and I think they had actually uh, fall of nineteen sixty had agreed to give it a primetime slot. I think Minnow spoke in early 61, but it was it was in the air. It doesn't really matter what happened exactly when. It was in the air that I, television I'm going was. I'm going off memory, so you're probably right. <laughs> um, well, but it, it it's what people were talking about yeah. at that time. Yeah. And for the next many years when people would complain about how television was dumbing down and catering to the lowest common denominator, Paley could always trot out the defenders as something that was Serious entertainment, very good drama, but talked about things that had to do with free speech, capital punishment, insanity, uh, all kinds of pressing social issues that Rose and his team of writers happily took up and tried to bring in an intelligent way to the American public. It, it also had a very interesting human element to it in that the characters were father and son, and even though they worked together um, and we're on the same team at the end of the day, they approach the law differently. And there was, there, so it was an interesting exploration of one generation and another. Yes, very much. I mean, if you think of it, the courtroom, of course, is a naturally dramatic setting with the prosecution and the defense. But to that, what Rose figured was we needed to add another dimension. And the other dimension was the father was the middle-aged, straight-laced, conservative, very experienced, very pragmatic, but the son, younger, more passionate, more idealistic. And so that played off uh, as well. And then there was another thing to it as well, which is that Rose really wanted to depict human beings in the legal profession. So you would meet the judge outside of the courtroom and understand something about the judge's concerns. You would meet the district attorney. And the district attorney was not just a, a two-dimensional character, but somebody who also had concerns. And so it was it was very much respectful of people in the legal profession and of the workings of the justice system as trying to do the right thing for everybody. It was uh, it was optimistic. It was very liberal. Uh, I don't mean liberal necessarily, you know, strong left wing, but it believed in the liberal values of free speech, of working together uh, in, a, in a society for the common good. Reginald Rose and the Journey of Twelve Angry Men, available wherever books are sold through Fordham University Press as well as Amazon.com. Phil Rosenzweig's with us via Zoom. He's the author of Reginald Rose and the Journey of Twelve Angry Men, which includes several chapters on the history and the backstory and the influence of the Defenders, the Defenders, the Emmy Award-winning series starring E.G. Marshall and Robert Reed, created by Reginald Rose, not to be confused with the short-lived and highly forgettable show starring Jim Belushi that was also called The Defenders. And, I, well, that's, that's a whole other conversation right there. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One more, and I want to tell you about Manscaped. Manscaped, the best there is when it comes to men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle and includes their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which not only features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology, but is waterproof which means, guys, that you can now say goodbye to that mess on the bathroom floor. Go to manscaped.com, enter promo code CONFIDENTIAL, and you'll receive a 20% discount off your order, plus free shipping worldwide. Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer, which is also waterproof, their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free bonus gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. More than 4 million men worldwide have put their trust in Manscaped. And if my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. Go to manscaped.com, manscaped.com, enter promo code CONFIDENTIAL for a 20% discount plus free shipping. Manscaped.com. Hi, I'm Gordon Thompson. I played your favorite villain on Dynasty, Adam Carrington. It's my pleasure talk with ed robertson here on tv confidential please join us we kind of teased this a little bit earlier but by, by the time the defenders became a series got the green light rose was doing okay um he was working fairly as, as steadily as a freelancer could be in network television at the time but um it was in, in many ways it was the defenders was his most successful show his, it was his most lucrative show but it was also the show that cost him a lot personally. Yes, until then, he had been writing scripts, submitting outlines. Sometimes the network says no. Sometimes they say yes. If they say yes, you write it in full. But he had never been part of a weekly series. And now, with her Brodkin, Brodkin was the producer. Rose was the creator and story supervisor, which meant he had to produce a high-quality script one hour every week and they did 30 the first year. Yeah. And so he wrote some of them himself, but he had a team, some very capable people, high quality people, but he, he helped shape them, the ones they didn't write. He would edit them, and sometimes the writers felt he was actually a bit, a bit too assertive in the writing. But the pressure of that week after week, year after year, uh, within a couple of years, it, it, it took a certain uh, toll on him. And partway through the third season, he had some health issues and he was he got a divorce in there as well. I, I won't say that the defenders cost him his marriage, but I think a lot of things came to a head in his personal, professional and, and, and private life. And so at that point, he backed away a little bit. David Shaw, one of his top writers, took over as story supervisor. Uh, Rose remained quite active. And in fact, there were a few pet projects that he wanted to make sure saw the light of day, including one episode, which was the first time a television program addressed the blacklist, which, of course, television had been guilty of. Mm -hmm. And that was quite a feat to get CBS to agree to run this show, which then ended up winning Emmys for 
Ernie Canoy, the writer, and Jack Klugman, who played the blacklisted author. I... So Rose remained very uh, active, even though he was not the story supervisor after the third year. I think the one, if and you'll correct me on this, I think the one point of compromise that Rose agreed to with the um, Defenders episode with Jack Klugman that explored the blacklist, at the end of the day, the network asked, okay, can you make him a, a writer who was blacklisted from the movies? <laughs> yes, and and that's one of uh, of a few examples where Rose, rather than you know banging his head and saying no, 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 and then having the whole thing um, uh, vetoed, uh, would be pragmatic, and he would take you know two thirds of a loaf in, uh, instead of the whole loaf. Yeah. So when CBS said. Uh, can you make make him blacklisted by the movie industry? He agreed to that, and that's fine because there were a lot of blacklists in the movies as well. So he he agreed to that as a small compromise. And we we should point out that Rose knew which side his bread was buttered on, so to speak, because the C, uh, because the network had previously supported him on a Defenders episode that had aired a year or two before that. Uh, in which they, uh, in which the series explored illegal abortions at a time when few, if any, network television shows ever touched that. That's right. And the very fact that you called an illegal abortion tells us how things have changed yeah. because that's what they were in those days. Quick program note, this conversation with Phil Rosenzweig was recorded in October 2021. Since that recording, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on Friday, June 24th, 2022, making the legality of abortions in the United States subject to each individual state. And Rose wanted to have, uh, in the first season, a story about a doctor who performed illegal abortions. He wrote it, they filmed it, and then the sponsors, who were major consumer product companies, said, mm, we're not so sure about this. CBS, to its credit, said, well, we're going to run it, and if, if these sponsors won't back it, we'll get another one, too, or we'll run it without any sponsors. And so the program was delayed by a few months in, in when it was aired, but it did get aired, and it was aired exactly as Rose wrote it. And this was 1962, so now this is 11 years before Roe versus Wade. One more example, Rose, when we, when we talked earlier, was addressing racial discrimination in the 1950s before the, the main years of the civil rights movement. He was addressing abortion in 1962 and uh, was the first to bring the story of the blacklist to a serious show in 1964. Uh, the movie The Front, written by Walter Bernstein, who was blacklisted with Zero Mostel starring Woody Allen, that came out in 1976. Wonderful movie, highly recommended. But by then we had a certain detachment and you could write a bittersweet comedy, which is what they wrote. Uh, there was nothing uh, for the stuff of comedy in 1964. These wounds were still very fresh and it's a real tribute to Rose's persistence and uh, courage that he got this on. Phil Rosenzweig is the author of Reginald Rose and the Journey of 12 Angry Men, the first biography of Reginald Rose that also uh, provides the backstory of his magnum opus 12 Angry Men as well as the backstory of Rose's second best known work of television that being the uh, long-running 
legal drama The Defenders, starring Robert Reed and E.G. Marshall, Reginald Rose, and The Journey of Twelve Angry Men, available wherever books are sold through Fordham University Press as well as Amazon.com. Okay, now we, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Before we started recording, uh, Phil and I were talking about there, there's an interesting relationship between Perry Mason and The Defenders. Two totally different shows. They were both very, very popular at the time, but they were very, very different shows in style and format and approach. Perry Mason, I think most people would agree, was an idealistic look at the legal system, whereas The Defenders, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, is far more realistic. Well, I would say that's that's one of the differences. I think it's a little bit more than that. To me, I mean, look, I love Perry Mason. I watched it a lot as I, I was a kid, but you knew what you were going to get. It was a formulaic show where somebody was falsely accused, and Perry Mason with Della Street and Paul Drake, they would figure out who did it, and there'd be some climactic scene in the courtroom where somebody who you didn't think was guilty would break down on the witness stand. It's it's a great formula. But usually there was a bit of magic, a bit of trickery, a bit of sleight of hand. And Rose had a friend who was a lawyer who said, you know, it just doesn't happen like that. How about doing a TV show where we talk about what really happens and also address some serious issues. I don't think Perry Mason ever talked about issues of, you know, free speech or mercy killings or uh, these sorts of things. It was very much a a contained set piece. Uh, And so that was what Rose had in mind with his friend Jerome Leitner, who later became the dean of the Brooklyn Law School and served as the technical advisor to make sure that the points of law what happened in the courtroom, the motions filed, what the judge would do, were all pretty much correct. So it, it, they're just very different shows. Uh, they, they, had, they both might take place in a courtroom. They both might deal with lawyers, but I think their intents were quite different. We'll talk some more with Phil Rosenzweig about Reginald Rose after this quick timeout here on TV Confidential. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.